I love this church, and my family loves this church, and even my kids love this church. My kids are not growing up with a bad taste in their mouth toward church, but they love attending here, and I think it's because you have loved them and built into their lives. And even as my family transitions to a new ministry, my, my daughter, Karis, who will be attending Trinity, is going to keep going to uh, EBF. And in fact, she said that she never wants to go to another church her whole life. So I guess we'll be coming back to visit forever. But I praise God for you, and I want to begin this morning praying for our church. Let's pray. Father, you established churches. You've done it since you said you'd build your church, and you continue to do it. And I pray for EBF during the life of her church 30 years in. And I just ask as they go forward, you would give everyone in here a tender heart and a humble mind. A tender heart and a humble mind towards you. And a tender heart and humble mind toward one another, especially in the days ahead. I do pray for on Tuesday at the Elder Forum that the three candidates along with everybody that, are, that is there will have a tender heart and humble mind as they interact with one another. And then for the member meeting in two weeks that you would uh, fill that place with your spirit and people would interact and love one another with a tender heart and a humble mind. The same with uh, a future search for the next lead pastor, that you'd make the congregation unify with a tender heart and a humble mind. And Lord, as you have established this church, may you continue this church to impact Evanston and the world with the gospel. And be with, us, be with us now this morning as we simply get into your word and ask for something supernatural to happen and changing of our hearts and minds to worship you. In Christ's name, amen. I'm wondering if you have ever said out loud, I hate life. Now, I'm sure some of you have said that out loud during a hard day or a challenging season, but some of you, this may be your internal looping sentiment in your mind and in your heart where you say, I hate life. And you may think that the last place you need to be is at church. It just seems kind of out of place, right? But let me encourage you. You're in good company. People sitting on the same row as you may have the same feelings. And you don't need to run away from church or the Lord, but run to him. So I'm glad you're here. And this morning I'm going to talk to you again about another guy who also hated life from the Bible. In fact, this guy had reasons not to hate life. I know a lot of you are pretty smart, or at least you think you are. But this guy was smarter than you. He's the second wisest man to ever live next to Jesus. 
And he said the more knowledge he attained, the more depressed he got. He started to pursue partying, but the more he partied, the more empty he felt. He started acquiring houses and stuff and servants and animals. And yet he he felt really empty. And then he was intimate with lots of women. Perhaps that would satisfy, and it did not. So he pushed it to the extreme to find excitement and fulfillment and life. And when it was all said and done, he said, I hate life. And it's his story we're going to look at today because, as we will tell, he kind of had a reframing of the way he viewed life and his heart changed from hating life to eventually enjoying it. And perhaps it will for you as well. So let's go ahead and turn to the Bible, to the book of Ecclesiastes. The book of Ecclesiastes, we're going through Ecclesiastes and we find ourselves in chapter 2, verses 17 through 26. Why don't you go ahead and stand while I read it to you. Starting at verse 17 of chapter 2. So I hated life, because what is done under the sun was grievous to me, for all is vanity and a striving after wind. I hated all my toil in which I toil under the sun, seeing that I must leave it to the man who will come after me. And who knows whether he'll be wise or a fool, yet he will be master of all for which I toiled and used my wisdom under the sun. This also is vanity. So I turned about and gave my heart up to despair over all the toil of my labors under the sun. Because sometimes a person who has toiled with wisdom and knowledge and skill must leave everything to be enjoyed by someone who did not toil for it. This all is vanity and a great evil. What has a man from all the toil and striving of heart with which he toils beneath the sun? For all his days are full of sorrow and his work is a vexation. Even in the night, his heart does not rest. This also is vanity. There is nothing better for a person than he should eat and drink and find enjoyment in his toil. This also I saw is from the hand of God. For apart from him, who can eat? Who can have enjoyment? For to the one who pleases him, God has given wisdom and knowledge and joy. But to the sinner, he has given the business of gathering and collecting only to give to one who pleases God. This also is vanity and a striving after whim. You may be seated. Let's revisit our question that we have been asking since the beginning from Ecclesiastes 1.3. Ecclesiastes 1.3 says, What does man gain from all the toil at which he toils under the sun? And the answer is, Nothing, because you will die, and you will not be able to take your stuff with you. In fact, you will die, and after a while, you will be forgotten. The staff has been joking with me that they're going to give me a going-away cake in line with Ecclesiastes. And the cake will say, we will forget you. 
<laughs> well, that's what the book has been so far. We're going to die, and there'll be no remembrance of us. But we're, you know, it's interesting. I'd love, I'd love to just preach the book and just leave you hanging for like three or four weeks with nothing positive. But I can't do that to you. So I'm trying to give you his conclusion throughout so you can sort of feel okay. Uh, through all this time and struggle, his conclusion of the matter, as we've been saying over and over again, is life is gift, not gain. Life is gift, not gain, where we are to enjoy God's gift of life today rather than wearing ourselves out for the future and future gain. And we've tried to broaden the context beyond Ecclesiastes to the whole Bible. And we've come up with this statement that I'll put up for you to broaden it out to the whole Bible. It says, the book of Ecclesiastes shows life's frustration and apparent meaninglessness while reminding us that our only hope is to fear the Lord, freeing us to enjoy life's blessing and view of eternity with Jesus. And what we're going to see this morning through our passage is that if you are going to enjoy food, if you're going to enjoy drink, and especially if you're going to enjoy your work, your toil, taking care of your kids, doing your homework, that will only come from the hand of God. So let's go ahead and go through this, starting in verse 17, chapter 2. So I hated life, because what is done under the sun was grievous to me. For all is vanity and a striving after when. Through the whole section, we'll continue on. He's been exploring this road of trying to find fulfillment. But there is a missing piece. Does anybody know what the missing piece has been so far? God. God's been totally excluded from this search. And previously, he has sought partying, right? He sought money and women and all these great endeavors and building things. But now, he's going to tell us that he sought to find fulfillment in work. And chances are, most of you may be trying to find fulfillment, future gain, lasting achievement, making a name for yourself through your work. And out of the gates, Solomon says, for him, it did not work. Look at verse 18. I hated all my toil. He hated his work. I hated all my toil in which I toil under the sun, seeing that I must leave it to the man who will come after me. And he hates all the things he's worked for on this earth because they're going to be passed on to someone else. He can't keep them. He's born with nothing. He's going to die with nothing. And all his work that he's done and achieved will be passed on to someone else. I wonder if he's thinking about turning all his stuff over to his kids. I, I just wonder if that's kind of what he has in mind. One time I read this uh, tongue-in-cheek job description for parents. It said things like, if you're a parent, you've got to be willing to work long hours weekends, holidays, and be on call 24 hours a day. And under the description of being a parent, a job description about how much money you will make, well, it's actually a reverse salary scheme. You pay them. And when they hit a certain age, you got this balloon payment. Uh, when they turn 18, the assumption they're going to go to college will make them financially independent. But 
when you die, you give them everything that's left. It's a reverse salary scheme. And I think that's what the teacher here is feeling. He's feeling this reverse salary scheme in life, and he hates it. Verse 19. And who knows whether he will be wise or a fool, yet he'll be master of all which I toiled and used my wisdom under the sun. This also is vanity. He do all this work. He does all this work and all this effort and skill and degrees and he pours it all into that and then, and then he's just going to hand it over to someone else and who knows that that person coming over after them is going to be wise in the use of his resources and what he's achieved, what he's accomplished and for him, he's like, what is the point? And I have met and interacted with hundreds of people just like this. They spent their years consumed with achievement. They spent their years consumed with with making bank, right? And so I saw them in my 20s at the end of their life in a nursing home. Most of them are in wheelchairs who have spent their heart's desires to make a lot of money and achievement. And now they're in the wheelchair. The clothes that they have on come from a pile not even their own clothes. Their children are in control of their checkbooks and then some new hard charger at work has taken over their business years ago and they're sitting there and they're depressed. And here's the deal. The teacher wants you to feel that now before later. He wants you to feel that now while you're younger. And you say, well, this is such a depressing book. Is it depressing if you're trying to learn something when you're young so that when you get to be older, you're not going to have these massive regrets that all you pursued was money and gain and you disregarded people? That, that You might think, this is such a negative book. Now, this book is trying to wake you up, especially those who are young. Don't spend your years, some would say your best years, don't spend your best years just striving after gain and money and achievement because you're going to die and you'll lose it all and you'll be forgotten. And you may think that is such a negative message. No, that message is meant to wake you up. Now the preacher begins, seems like to get really depressed about this reverse salary scheme. Look at verse 20. So I turned about and gave my heart up to despair. He's, just, he's depressed over all the toil of my labors under the sun. Because sometimes a person who has toiled with wisdom and knowledge and skill must leave everything to be enjoyed by someone who did not toil for it. This also is vanity and a great evil. What has a man from all the toil and striving of heart for which he toils beneath the sun? For all his days are full of sorrow and his work is a vexation. Even the night his heart does not resist. This also is vanity. All those hours you put in at work, all those years you went to school, from kindergarten, high school, college, some of you grad, postdoc, and you're still going, right? And all the anxiety you have felt in your job, and all the deadlines you work hard to meet, all the pain you had to deal with in dealing with 
tough co-workers, all the days filled with hard labor, and the night you could not sleep, and your mind is reeling, and all of this work on this earth, to him, he's saying it's meaningless because it is a reverse salary scheme. It goes to someone else. What's the point? Now, some of you did not come in here hating life, but now you do. And that's good because that's what the book of Ecclesiastes is supposed to do. It's supposed to knock you over. It's wisdom literature. It functions differently than what we're used to in the rest of the Bible. It's intended to get at your, your heart motives of why you do what you do. And when, when I read this, it personally convicts me. When I can't sleep at night... My mind is churning with the ministry. Is that good? Maybe it's just anxious striving in my heart. I just want you to think about those of you who have jobs, or you're at school, or even for those of you who are parenting and you're trying to raise kids, right, who are shielded. From everything imperfect, right? So even parents can feel this. So I want you to ask some questions of yourself. Let's just do this real quick, kind of in the middle here. Ask some questions of your motives about your work, your school, maybe your parenting. And, and ask the question, am I doing my work to glorify God or to glorify me? I mean, really, seriously. Are you striving so hard so your kids don't embarrass you in front of other people? Is it, all, is it really about you and not really about them? What's your motive at work? Is it really kind of, I mean, there's nothing wrong with working hard. We want to work hard. There's nothing wrong with raises. We want to get raises. Nothing wrong with promotions. We want to get promotions. Nothing wrong with that. But, but why do you want that? Is so that people can see how awesome you are, how invaluable you are. Get at your heart motives. Are you working to advance the kingdom of God or to advance the kingdom of self? This book is a convicting. You know why the book is convicting? Because the Holy Spirit is convicting. And this is the word of God that is put here for us. Let it convict. As Ecclesiastes is trying to reframe life to show us that life is gift, not gain. Now we're getting to some positives. Let's do this. Verse 24. There is nothing better for a person then he should eat and drink and find enjoyment in his toil. This is a verse that screams. You ready for this? Stop. Relax. Relax. All we've seen so far is anxious, striving to get this future gain, this chasing after the wind. And right now he says, hey, stop, relax, just eat and drink and tell yourself that your, your toil is good or make sure that you see some good. It's not trying to be hedonistic. It's not trying to make you a workaholic. It's saying stop your striving and enjoy the fruits of your labor. Stop your striving and enjoy some drink, <laughs> some food, and even try to enjoy your work. And you're kind of wondering, 
well, how? How can I do that? How can I enjoy this job? How can I enjoy the food for food's sake and drink for drink's sake without trying to achieve with it? How? Well, look at the end of verse 24 and 25. There's nothing better for a person than that he should eat and drink and find enjoyment in his toil. This also I saw is from the hand of God. For apart from him, who can eat or who can have enjoyment? Finally, 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 the teacher speaks about God. God is now in view and he refrains all of life. You see, when God comes into the picture, grace comes into the picture. It's only from the hand of God that you can eat, that you can drink, and that you can find enjoyment in the work that you do, whether it's with your kids, your school, or your work. So just think about it this way. You have, you have two people, two tech guys, almost have the exact same job. One is full of anxiety, striving, sleepless nights, pushing it, pushing it, pushing it, neglecting relationships, pushing, pushing, pushing. And then you have another guy, same type of job, works hard, puts in the hours, and yet there is something about him or her that is relaxed, at peace, trusting the results to God. <laughs> Which one are you? Well, let's think about food and drink. David Gibson, I've been quoting often, he says this, Some say eat, drink, and be merry, because that's all there is. The preacher says eat, drink, be merry, because that's what there is. God has given the good things of this world to us, and they are their own reward. Like, it's not about abusing these things. It's about enjoying the gifts of God. Let's start to finish out. Verse 25. Verse 25 says, For to the one who enjoys, verse 26, For to the one who enjoys and pleases him, God has given wisdom and knowledge and joy. So the teacher was seeking this ultimate gain in the Son in order to find meaning apart from God, but it's only God who gives meaning and wisdom and knowledge and happiness. But, but what are these based upon? Well, it says they're given to the person who pleases God. What? Well, how can you please God? So Let's just take the context of Ecclesiastes, okay? Not branching out to the rest of the New Testament or the Old Testament yet. How, and according to Ecclesiastes, do you please God? And I think this is the answer. You receive life as a gift and not gain. I think you receive uh, grace from God and life from God, not to be abused for gain, but as a gift to be enjoyed. And I think it means to please God that you keep him at the center and your perspective, though not perfect, is, is on him and on the life he's given you. And you receive it as grace through faith. I think that's what it looks like to please God in the book of Ecclesiastes. But what about the one who does not please God? What about the one who wants to abuse life? Well, look at verse 26 again. He says, but to the sinner... But to the sinner, now we're all sinners, we get that, we get that theologically, but this is the person who, who doesn't have God at the center but themselves. There is no faith, there's no receiving this gift as grace. It says, but to the sinner, 
He has given the business of gathering and collecting only to give to the one who pleases God. This also is vanity and a striving after the wind. Now, it's, it's really difficult to understand what this means. It could be a general statement about sinners who live for themselves, but leave with nothing. But it seems to indicate that what the sinner achieves gets passed on to those who pleases God. And perhaps this could fall under Jesus' statement, Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. I'm not exactly sure what's going on here, but it seems that the one who is the sinner pursuing gain leaves God out of the picture, lives a meaningless life, and is just chasing after the wind, while the one who pleases God receives life from his hand as a gift and not gain. Now let's, let's do this. Let's broaden our understanding of the message of Ecclesiastes out once again to the context of the whole Bible. Because as believers in Jesus, we know that, that life from God is a gift. But we also know that in Jesus Christ, there is abundant life. John 10.10, 10, Jesus says, I came that they might have life and might have it abundantly. Jesus Christ came to this earth so we might have life abundantly, where we don't have to stay in this hated life of ours. That Jesus came to, to lay down his life for us so that he can rescue us from this hated life and transfer us into the kingdom of this abundant life. Think about this. He took all of our sins that made up our hated life and he bore them on the body, his body on the cross. And he, and he laid down his life on the cross and he took it up again from the grave. So think of it this way, that the hated life was destroyed in his death and the abundant life was confirmed in his resurrection. So the hated life destroyed in his death and the abundant life confirmed in his resurrection that he has conquered sin, Satan, and death. And in him, we now have eternal life and that eternal life begins now and it is an abundant life in Christ as treasures and wisdom is all found in him and that is received from the hand of God by faith. So for those of you who may not have received this gospel message from the hand of God by faith, it is a gift to you where you can turn away. I mean, basically, we're saying turn away from your hated life. Turn away pursuing you know, gain apart from God. Turn from your sin Put your faith in Christ, and in him you'll have gain now and for eternally. And it's by grace through faith. But let's kind of just wonder, okay, what about the specific things we just talked about? Food, drink, work. I'm going to leave you with a couple of questions that you can talk about at your ethos if you want or talk about over lunch. A couple questions I, I've, I have to leave you with uh, this guy, David Gibson. I keep mention, mentioning him. By the way, I would encourage you to read his book called Living Life um, Backwards. But the first question I want to leave you with is this. What if the daily pleasure of food and drink is a joy that we ungratefully overlook? Maybe, if you're like me, I'm so guilty of this, you view eating and drinking as fuel that just keeps you going for gain, gain, gain. And Gibson talks about, he says, you know, instead of using these gifts as a means to a greater end of securing ultimate gain in the world, we take the time to live inside the gifts themselves. 
and see the hand of God in them. Oh, I like that. The idea of seeing the hand of God and the gifts that he gives you and living inside the gifts. Now, let me explain this to you. The, the, the guys at the office and the girls at the office always make fun of me because I tend to just eat to eat to work or to drink to drink to work. There, there rarely is enjoyment in what I'm eating and drinking, nor I, I make the exact same thing for lunch every day that I have to make it unless they bring something in. And I, I've thought to me I'd eat the same breakfast every day and the same dinner. So there really is not me seeking out enjoyment. Some people like to drive hours for restaurants. I'm like, where? what is the closest? So I'm trying to get to the point where, okay, live inside the gift. And so for me, that means, okay, I can slow down and I can be grateful for this Five Guys cheeseburger just to enjoy it, receive it from the hand of the Lord. I can be grateful for this coffee, not because it can help me study or stay up all night and crank. Uh, I can enjoy it. I can be grateful for these organic animal cookies from Costco. <laughs> Though they're meant for children, I can enjoy them. And I can be grateful for Swedish fish in moderation, of course. You see what we're getting at here? I mean, it's a lot of you have no problem with this. You go kind of the other extreme. You're like, yeah, we enjoy food all the time, way too much, right? But me, it's like, no, this is just fuel that just keeps me gaining, right? And so how about living inside the gifts? I know all of you are getting pumped about lunch right now, right? Yeah, you can live inside the gift. <laughs> and the last question I want to ask you is this about work. What if our work was never intended to make us successful, but simply to make us faithful and generous? I think it's a good way to think about work and God's grace and enjoying work. Rather than working to achieve great success and make a name for yourself, how about working, working hard, working with excellence, but, you know, how about working with joy so that you can be faithful and working with joy so that you can be generous. Hopefully, as you go through Ecclesiastes and you see all this, I hated life, you can see some positive seeping through of God's grace because life is gift, not gain. Let's pray. Father, you know that there are some people in here that are completely exhausted. They are exhausted because they are going above and beyond what is supposed to be happening in their humanity. They have gone beyond working hard to striving after win. They've gone beyond parenting their children trying to turn their children into champions. And Father, I just ask that for the exhausted people in here, they would get some perspective where you are, in a sense, by your spirit right now, screaming at them to stop and relax and slow down and let you be God and 
they be a human. And there are some in here who are so exhausted and they have neglected their spiritual lives. They have neglected their friends. They have neglected their family. They have neglected their bodies. May this be the day where they slow down and see that you are God, seated on your throne, and then may they be, be still and know that you are God and you are not putting the pressure on them. And Lord, I pray for the rest of us that we would know what it means to enjoy the gifts you give, not abusing them, not turning them into idols, not neglecting them, but living inside of them as grateful grateful for what you are doing and have done and are going to do in our lives. And may we continue to see life as gift and not gain. In Christ's name, amen.